You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. For those of you who are interested in self-discovery and healing through hypnosis, please email me at rebecca.hayden at gmail.com to book a free consultation. Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Today, we are talking to Doug Finkelstein, and Doug is a fractional chief alignment officer, helping people and organizations reduce the friction in aligning with their higher selves. He is also the executive director of an empathic society, a nonprofit providing pro bono consulting services for individuals and mission-driven organizations seeking psychedelic community. Welcome, Doug. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. I'm so glad we got a chance to finally do this. Doug has, we have worked a lot together during his integrative period. I mean, I know it's ongoing for all of us, but um, we did some work together. So I'm kind of aware of some of the themes that showed up. And I think it's a great story, yours. And I think that a lot of people will resonate with it. So I just want you to start by saying where you were at when you first started to work with psychedelics in a healing capacity for personal growth and that kind of thing. And the things that were coming up for you at that time, the challenges you faced at that time. Yeah, we've done some great work together. So my psychedelic story really starts back when I was 13. I I was very self-conscious about my hairline and uh, everyone, my brother, father, grandfather uh, was bald and um, super self-conscious. So I was put in touch with a family friend who was a doctor who recommended this drug called Propecia that was supposedly uh, help with hair loss. And I was like, oh, like I get to keep my hair. No questions asked. Sign me up. It's that easy. And uh, it really was not that easy. It was a a daily pill that I had to take. And uh, I was on it for 10 years. And over those 10 years, I really had this hunch that it was having a a toll on my physical and, and mental health. I wasn't willing to to risk stop taking it because I thought, you know, my hair might fall out the next day. And as a, a teenager going into my 20s, I wasn't really ready to uh, reconcile that. And when I was 23, I was working in finance in New York City, and I found an online community of other people taking this this drug. And they were sharing uh, a lot of things that resonated with me, uh, a lot of issues that that I saw in myself and some more severe ones that thankfully I didn't, but I knew every day I kept taking this, I would I would risk um, that happening to me. So once I, I found that community and heard other people's stories, I, I quit taking it. And after a few months when it was out of my system, I got into meditation. The first time I literally just laid down in my bed for five minutes, I think I fell asleep. And uh, that was really like the start of my spiritual journeying. So after a few uh, months and a couple of years of starting to build a meditation practice, that really started to get me out of my shell of um, the past 10 years that that kind of built up on this drug where I became more energetic and outgoing, showing up in my relationships, being present, trying all the new things that I really just couldn't be bothered with 
the 10 years previously, where over those 10 years, when I would look in a mirror, I really only look at my hairline. Now I was finally seeing myself and uh, wanting to, to grow and explore and, and become more of myself. So that was when I was 23. I stopped taking the drug. I started meditation. And then when I was 25 was the first time that I tried psychedelics and specifically mushrooms, where I had the opinion that the government and, and media give that, you know, it's for hippies. You're going to jump out of a building if you even think about it. Uh, I knew all that was nonsense. So I did my own research, my own due diligence, and eventually learned enough that I felt comfortable to have my first experience. And um, I did that in nature with a, a small group of friends that were aligned. And uh, it was a, a wonderful experience for me and really started my communion with these wonderful plant medicines. So I quickly realized after that, I no longer wanted to work in finance, which is a big shocker for someone that, that uh, has their first psychedelic experience, uh, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. So it took some time to recalibrate. I ended up going to graduate school, moving across the country to Los Angeles, where I am now. And toward the end of grad school, I realized that my passion and interest was really in these plant medicines and helping people that had similar experiences like me or are currently having them be able to uh, realize and explore this alternate path that, that I found and have come to love. So I launched the Empathic Health Community a couple of days after graduating in uh, the spring of 2021. And that was a private community for people that were interested or currently utilizing plant medicines in their practice to come together and have a safe container to share perspective and feedback and uh, opinions and know that they wouldn't be judged and could figure out what was next on their path uh, when it comes to preparing for future journeys and integrating previous ones. So I spent two years uh, running that community. And in June of this year, I stepped back from those duties. And out of that came our current nonprofit, which is an empathic society. And what we do is consulting pro bono for people that are exploring this uh, psychedelic ecosystem. Let's go back to to the beginning when you were talking about how you decided that you didn't want to be in finance anymore. The reason I'm taking you back is because at that time, and you did embark on your bigger plant medicine journey back then, right? Was that when you did ayahuasca or mushrooms? You had a deep journey and that's where that revelation came from. So mushrooms was the first journey while I was in the finance role. And then ayahuasca came about two and a half years after that. Okay. So you left after your mushroom journey, you decided to leave the financial world, right? That's right. In terms of work. And then what I'm trying to explore with you is the things that were showing up for you at that time, because when we break out of something we're familiar with, there's, it's very liberating, but there's also um, inner pushback sometimes or things we have to work through to permit ourselves to kind of move in these directions or just challenges coming up in general. What I'm getting at is there's themes that showed up for you that laid out the path for your own journey of personal growth, right? Yeah, yeah, there has been. Uh, so you'd mentioned, for example, uh, and we'll go more into this later because it showed up with your journeys with me, but being concerned about other people's opinions. And I mean, you're not alone there. A lot of us have our own unique journeys with that issue, but it showed up. And I'm wondering how that presented itself when you made this big leap, right, out of the familiar 
and into the unknown. There must have been people who had opinions about it. I mean, you must have had to do a lot of work just in making that that big leap out of the financial corporate world. Yeah, I I really did feel supported from those around me in really? in my kind of transitions uh, from you know corporate world to the, the psychedelic. I think it it's pretty obvious that you know from my hairline self issues that. I was always thinking oh, what other people think about me because I was, you know, I wanted to have this certain look as someone with hair. And even when, you know, I started to, to see myself in the mirror instead of my hairline, that that didn't fully go away. And it, it still hasn't. I'm still, like you said, like we all deal with to some extent, always a little bit wondering what other people are thinking about me. And that showed up in my work in the empathic community where the other volunteers that were in charge of running the community with me. I I didn't realize until my ayahuasca journey that I was making my decisions based on trying to pick the decision that I think they would support and be happy with and kind of not, and not kind of not listening to my gut and, and what I felt was truly right. Even if it would potentially ruffle some feathers and my my ayahuasca experience showed me very clearly that I'm here to to listen to myself and trust myself and not be a decision maker that just tries to appease other people. So you had opportunities to work through these issues given the kinds of social scenarios you found yourself in and how you responded to them, right? We talked a lot about that in our work together and you found different ways of responding and understood more about your own reactions because of these experiences. Right. And the biggest thing I can point to for that is I'm a big supporter of human design and I'm a a splenic manifester, which means I, I listen to my gut and my gut, my, my spleen really communicates with me and that's how I make my decisions. And in the area where my spleen is, uh, ever since I can remember, I've had this discomfort where it feels like a rib might be out of place or, uh, you know, I've never really been sure. And I've always kind of been careful of that area, avoiding it at, out of fear that I might, you know, crack a rib or, or do something that's, that's very painful. This never happened. I've never done anything to really injure it, but uh, I've always felt that I might. And going into my ayahuasca journey, I don't know what caused me to, to start to look into you know, medical um, opinions on, on that rib area a couple weeks, months before the ayahuasca journey. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Mother Aya that, that prompted me to do so. But I, I remember vividly, I went to a doctor, they took x-rays and they said, well, we don't see anything wrong. You know, this might just be part of getting older. You're just kind of going to have to live with it. And I was kind of like, all right, like, you know, they're doctors. Why would I not trust them? And then during my ayahuasca experience, within three days of the ceremonies and my wonderful curandero, Lydia, spending some time massaging the area and, and doing some healing of her own, completely fixed it, <laughs> where I no longer had the, the discomfort that I'd had for as long as I could remember. It felt like I you know, had a new lease on life. And I just remember chuckling that the doctor in LA said, nothing we can do. And it took three days in the jungle to, to clean it up. <laughs> 
Because there's, I mean, the way that the shamanic view is that there's a deeper issue. The physical is just the symptom. And so it kind of allows us to start to see if we can apply that way of thinking in our own lives and not react so strongly to these things and panic to like put out the symptom. And instead, you know, I think it's beautiful that this became a, a communication vehicle for you. It became an opportunity for your body to start speaking to you and you responding and saying, Hey, I'm listening. And, <laughs> and I'm starting to understand because you, you know, eventually you started to understand the reasons why it would flare up and you would address the thing in your life that was prompting you. Right. Right. And that was really the biggest component during the ceremonies and, and my time in the jungle was, you know, if I just had someone come in and massage the area, I don't think it, it would have healed the way it did. It was combined with the realizations and messages I was getting in ceremony of how I am not listening to myself and I'm making my decisions based on trying to appease other people. So being able to have that realization, become aware of it, and then you know, be able to have that awareness to, to work on it and and move forward with that knowledge really played a big role in, in having that area get you know, cleaned up, so to speak. And I remember after I had that kind of big breakthrough where it felt, you know, hundred percent fixed, Lydia told me, she's like, you got to keep massaging it. You know, this isn't like, boom, you're, you're done. You know, you never have to worry about this again. You know, it, it's something that you constantly have to work on as, you know, much of, of life is and, and a lot of our obstacles are. And I remember I was like, yeah, like whatever. <laughs> you know, I was just so happy that I, I had this new, I just felt so strong in my body and, and complete that I, I kind of disregarded it. And lo and behold, a couple months after the retreat, it came back. And I think it was probably a few months after that, that I, I finally realized that, you know, I came back to the world. And for a while, I was truly, purely listening to myself, confident in, in my gut feelings and acting and behaving how I, I felt was was right. And then slowly but surely, I kind of revert back to um, old tendencies, prior tendencies. And now I've I've come to actually value the the discomfort in in that area a little bit because it is a way of my my spleen, my gut speaking to me and saying, you know, hey, there's there's some things going on in your life that, you know, you're not acting in your own best interest. You're not listening to yourself. You're not listening to me. And uh, it's become something I'm very conscious of. And it's it's been a huge help in, in being more in touch with my gut and being able to, to know if I'm acting in accordance with it or not. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's like an inner intelligence that we all have. And trusting ourselves is a huge theme that comes through for most, if not all of us in our journeys. Earlier, you were stating how, okay, you had a certain impression of what psychedelics were and these kind of big warning signals that came through government messaging and all the rest of it. But you took it upon yourself to explore this idea on your own and see what you could find and you know make the decision yourself. This is a perfect example of 
taking personal responsibility, acknowledging there are many opinions out there, and then just honoring your own once you explore it yourself and making a decision based on that. This is what these medicines are really pushing us to do is to honor ourselves. You know, we can complain about the external world and all of these things. So what is it reflecting about us? And what do we have to change inside of ourselves to reflect something different outwards? And that's where the work comes from. And I love how you described that even so casually at the beginning. That's your first step, really, you know, for many of us. Yeah, it is. And it is work and it isn't. <laughs> Everyone has kind of their own definition of oh, sure. the yeah. word work. Uh, I do think it, it takes courage. It takes commitment to, uh, and it takes desire to want to invest in yourself in this way to, you know, it's not easy to, to sit through an ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, a lot of people don't do it because they're afraid of purging and you know, what might happen, potential ego death. And that's, that's fair because those things, uh, there's a chance that they happen. I have yet to meet anyone come out of the other side of a uh, safely contained ceremony and uh, regret it. <laughs> It, it might be a challenge. And I think, you know, that's kind of the definition of medicine is it, it might be uncomfortable going down. It, it's for your longer term benefit. And I truly believe that with, with all plant medicines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the work that I refer to is the integration experience that we have in life, aligning the ideas and the messages that we get through these experiences into our life. And it does take work. Um, And work doesn't have to be a bad thing. Work can also be a very fulfilling thing. And, you know, one of the reasons why it resonates with me is because myself and many, many others feel far more fulfilled and benefited by this kind of work than the, the other kinds of work that I generally used to do in my life. You know what I mean? I consider this to be more important than anything else because it touches everything else in my life. So, and I think the word work helped me to understand it's not always going to be easy. And there is a reason that there are challenges at times and that's okay. And, and you're achieving something truly through this effort. So for me, That's why it's been like that. But of course, it's not always like that. Sometimes it's fun and silly and extraordinarily rewarding or none of us would do it, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really is the the bedrock that everything else in your life situation is built upon. So it's it's the root that that you're getting at by by doing this work. Uh, And it's it's different for all of us. The the ways we approach are are very similar. Yeah, I agree. And there are others that are, you know, very different. There are a lot of people that have entirely different approaches to these things. And I'm not them, so I really can't comment on it. But I know lots of people do. And I find it interesting, this whole unfolding of looking at people in the psychedelic community, just finding their feet and exploring their own behaviors in terms of trying to apply what they learn to their lives or trying to encase what they learn in old older ideas of what's possible in this life. And it's just watching it all unfold is a pretty amazing thing. And watching all the judgments too, like that, that comes out pretty strongly that initially surprised me. And then I thought, well, that was a little naive, I guess. Right? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're just all stretching into this and growing through it. And 
it's going to take time. What was most important for me at that time was to discover why I felt the way that I did about it. And so this leads me into the um, the social media world that you found yourself in, because this for, for many of us is challenging just to begin with, let alone when we're trying to do things very differently, because the experience there, talk about, you know, what other people think. There is just this constant exchange of ideas. Well, I'd love to describe it as that way. And sometimes it is, but there's also an exchange of you know, attitudes and people clashing and reactions and all of those things. And it can be at times even hostile, but I think that it's an interesting platform for us to use to maybe, you know, understand ourselves better. I mean, everything is that opportunity, but I know that for you, some things arose through that. And I'd love for you to share about that if you feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, I do feel comfortable and that's the work that, that I've done to, to find that comfort. And not only do I feel comfortable, it's something I feel I, I really need to do as part of my journey. So I never had social media really at all. And I had a LinkedIn for, for work purposes, no Instagram, uh, never used Facebook. I fleetingly use Snapchat with a few close friends. I, I refuse to even make like the avatar that looks like me. Uh, <laughs> I've always felt very private about that and never felt the need to share. Um, where I'm headed now in my my personal journey is I really do want to share because I, I think I've accumulated resources and connections in my network and uh, just a variety of things that can help people that are, you know, where I was two, five, 10 years ago, take that next step for them in whatever wonderful way that shows up. So I understand that social media is in today's day and age, how, how you reach people and meet them where they're at. So I, I did a writing challenge. It's called ship 30 for 30, where uh, the core of the challenges for 30 straight days, you post on Twitter. And this is someone you know, I've, I've made three Twitter posts in the six years. I've technically had a Twitter account. Uh, so 10 xing my output over the course of a month and uh, first couple of days, you know, scary. And then I start to get more and more comfortable and I'm, I'm really using the prompts that they give. And, you know, I paid for this course. So I, I kind of tricked myself in a way that, you know, I, I paid for this, I have to, you know, use it and they're giving me the prompts. So it's easy. And as I started to do it, I pushed my, the boundaries of my comfort zone and I started to get more and more personal and, and willing to share. And in our work, Rebecca, the story that sticks out the most is we were going back through really trying to find where this, uh, fear of being judged and caring about other people's opinions so much came from. And I remembered in my third grade gym class, we were stretching before whatever sport we were going to play. And I let out just the loudest fart one could ever imagine. It echoed off of the, the walls of the gym. And I don't know how, but everyone in that class turned into dolphins with echolocation and immediately looked at me and just knew it was me. And I didn't play it off. Like I, you know, heard it somewhere too. They weren't buying it. They were, they were smart kids. Uh, and that is vividly stuck in my head. And I really hadn't thought about it until, you know, we consciously hypnotically went back and rediscovered that moment and realizing it, you know, and, and bringing it back into awareness really 
unlocked and released a lot of the subconscious feelings that that were around it that I really don't need to be carrying anymore. It truly felt like a death, like a a social one, but it, you know, it, my brain couldn't really tell the difference. It felt like, like a death, uh, that moment. And during this writing course, just one of the days I, I didn't have anything to write. I, it was just kind of in the back of my head. And for some reason that, that thought of that gym class came across my mind and without even hesitating, pulled on my phone, tweeted out the story that, that I just told about it, this gym class and, and the dolphins in the class and uh, wrote a little poem about it and just posted it and closed my phone and went about my day and didn't really have any second thoughts about it. The only second thought I did have was that I was really proud of myself for you know, going from not willing to have social media and, and never would I have told that story openly to happy to share that with the you know random people that are on Twitter and and not have any concerns about what they might think of me or whether they're unfollowing me or, or anything like that. So it was a, a big uh, landmark and milestone in, in my progress for sure. So what were the reactions to that story? Nothing. Absolute crickets. <laughs> Uh, is what it what I expected when you know I tweet three times over the course of six years and then thirty times out of nowhere. Uh, so I think a couple of people may have liked it. You know, a little click the heart and, and move on. <laughs> well, I love the idea that you did it for yourself with no attachment to outcome because that is a very important thing. You know, mm-hmm. if we're too attached to the outcome, it compromises whatever it is that that we're putting our efforts into. I wanted to mention that, you know, that that death and fear and all that stuff, um, what came out of that hypnotic journey as well was the impressions that you got from your mother, like worrying about the neighbors and what they think. I mean, I went through this and I'm sure that many, 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 many people went through this, the societal conditioning, right? <laughs> and when your parent, the one who cares for you that you depend on for your life pretty much when you're very young is afraid of something that sticks very deeply into your subconscious mind about uh, I've, I've got to protect myself right so it's not too surprising that something that would seem kind of minor to adults is like we remember childhood we all went through these embarrassing things but when it's framed that way when your mind is already conditioned to be that hyper concerned about other people's opinions, it changes how you experience it and how it impacts you later. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. That's that's something that is kind of an inside joke within my family uh, on my mother's side, particularly my maternal grandmother and and my mom. It's always you know what would the neighbors think, and even in in the Jewish community, I think there's uh, it, it's a thing <laughs> in. in the- community. And uh, the example I like to give, which absolutely happened, was at my my grandma Nana's house uh, a couple months ago. And she was absolutely just losing it over uh, a little bit of dust that was on the chandelier in her, her bedroom, which I've only been in a handful of times. No one that comes over to the house ever goes in there. And she was so worried, you know, what if someone happens to end up in there and and sees this dust? <laughs> and I was like, that is ridiculous. No one's ever been in this room. But like that, like she was completely serious. And you know, that's that mentality is is always there. And uh my mom has has the same mentality to a lesser degree, but but certainly has it. And for me to like just because I'm aware of that, for me to assume that 
you know, my awareness of it means I'm, I don't have some of that show up in my own life is, is definitely naive. And you know, it shows up in different ways. It shows up with the hairline or the gym class or, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> There's another, another time we uncovered in our, our work was I went clothes shopping with my mom when I was probably 10 and uh, I don't know why for that day, I just decided not to wear underwear. I don't even think it was a thing that like I did, but for some reason that day I was like, nope, not doing it. And of course we get in the changing room and she asked me to change. I'm like, oh yeah, about that. Uh, <laughs> so she had to go buy some and like I didn't think much of it when it happened. And then when we got back, she invited over um, her best friend, our, our neighbor, and I overheard them in the other room talking and laughing about the story. And that very similar to the gym class story, I, I vividly remember it, that that stuck out to me. And, you know, being that, that subject of like the butt end of the joke, it was just something that I've always struggled with and always tried to avoid so deeply that uh, that's really why, you know, in the, more more recent days in the previous years working at empathic i was always trying to appease the the people i'm working with and make decisions based on what i think they would like uh because i don't want to be that you know one being talked about behind my back or the one that's the butt end of the the joke or the bad decision so i wanted to not forget to ask you about a couple of other things to bring up. But before we get into the financial themes that came up for you, I wanted to ask about the reason you use the word empathic. I mean, is this something you discovered about yourself? Do you, do you feel that maybe all along you had this deeper sensitivity and that's something that you had to explore because being empathetic can be something that we're unaware of and have to find a way to align with in healthy ways? That's a really good question. So my answer is I, I kind of stumbled into the name and also in many ways, I think I didn't. I've always felt since I was young that I was super sensitive to sensations. Um, and I honestly thought I was an alien for many years when I was a kid. <laughs> Well, some days do. I think a lot of us feel that way. Uh, yeah. Just because I'm like, are other people also like you know, feeling this all the time and like feeling what other people are feeling so deeply? I, again, this is human design. I have an undefined uh, sacral center, which in human design means that I, I take on the energy of those I'm, I'm interacting with in my field. So uh, if my partner is having a bad day, then I start to have the feeling that I'm having a bad day, even if I'm not, and uh, vice versa for really whatever is is being felt around me. It's very similar, if not the same, to to empathy, the ability to you know, resonate with other people's feelings and share them. So yeah, I've always felt I'm an empathic person, and uh, I kind of stumbled into the name when I'm thinking of the name empathic health. I was. I want to change the way that we view health where it's not, you know, going to a doctor's office to get an x-ray. They tell you you're out of luck and that's the end of it. You know, there was no, there's no empathy in that transaction. And I, I wish that there, when it came to health, that there was a lot more. So uh, mm -hmm. that name just kind of came to me one day and I, I ran with it. And a lot of the early community members reached out and signed up because they saw the name and they're just like, this resonated with me deeply. I just felt, you know, a, a calling to this group. And because of that, I, I'm an empath and 
you know, that word is, is so profound to me. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's something that you know, a lot of us share and to be able to be in community with other people that experience life the same way is, is just incredibly valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it can be confusing for a child if that's happening. Like I know that this was true of my own life and I didn't get it until many years later that the medicine started to help me see about this part of myself and that I had to start to uh, gain perspective so that I didn't go into certain experiences emotionally that were going to work against me and certainly not help anybody else. Me, you know, starting to, you know, move into their feelings rather than stay inside of myself and compassionate about them. You know, it's a different experience. And when you experience that story through like your hypnotic journey back into your past and that story came up that in your mind about your mom, there was part of me that wondered if there was part of you that left yourself and started to experience them laughing at you and that not being congruent, of course, with self-love and all the rest of it. And if it was confusing for you, maybe because you're mother and like these are similar stories to a lot of people our parents put these ideas into our mind because of course it's happened to them and for a long time that's what we call it ancestral healing you know these ideas about other people's opinions being more important than ours and don't be a source of embarrassment or shame or and then when they themselves are laughing at you like I had those experiences so I could totally resonate and I thought wow it totally makes more sense when you realize that you're empathetic nature was kind of working against you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of being able to casually laugh and go, oh yeah, I get it. You know, yeah. it becomes this deeply personal, <laughs> terrible event, you know? Right. There's a bit of irony in, you know, these same people that have this mentality, what will people say? And then, you know, they're the ones saying it. <laughs> it's like, they're the ones making that a reality for me because I'm experiencing firsthand how painful it is when, people are saying things about me. And to be fair, like if it was my kid that did the same thing, I would 100% share this story with my friends because it's hilarious. <laughs> I, you, you just got to do it out of your shot <laughs> and like, make sure that the kid's not hearing it. Um, so lesson learned for when I become a parent, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's not always possible. You learn so much from being a parent. Like you'll make mistakes. We all do. In fact, it's a very good training ground for us to become more bold and realize that mistakes are how we learn sometimes. But yeah, I think that you could... Once we discussed it, you could totally see from, you know, a detached sort of perspective that it was kind of funny for the parent and they didn't mean any malicious thing against you. Just like my parents, they didn't. But it was the ideas in my mind, you know, that made it turn into this strangely aggressive experience in my mind and heartful. And so it's just a matter of unpacking all of that and, and seeing it for what it is and then learning about when you're doing it again, being aware of that and making an effort to respond differently and to remind yourself. Absolutely. I, I really believe we're you know, here to learn certain lessons and those are unique for, for each of us in, in this lifetime that we're living. And uh, this is definitely one of mine and I've definitely learned it many times and will continue to learn it many times over the course of my life. Mm-hmm. And another issue I wanted to discuss with you was that your ideas of money came up pretty strongly, both in the hypnotic journeying and also in your experience, you know, building that community. And uh, I would like to hear you talk about that because I feel like that was really important for you to, to move through that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in my family, my paternal grandfather has really been the money guy. Uh, he entrepreneur, built his own law firm, uh, came from very little and uh, became very uh, wealthy from, from starting his own law firm. And he also, that I've now really started to untangle, was kind of a dick. <laughs> uh, but that is not because of the money. Uh, however, growing up, those two things felt very tied together and, and still do feel that in many ways, even as I start to cognitively uh, untangle those, those vines from each other. Uh, so growing up, you know, he, he was always, um, not always, uh, there were many times I experienced he was rude to um, wait staff at restaurants and people around. And he, he was very powerful. He carried a, a strong, powerful presence. And a bit of that was intimidation and uh, kind of brute force. And that felt very different from how I felt with my empathic feeling what other people feel. I I couldn't really fathom that that type of presence within myself. And I think as a child that that kind of got intertwined that money equals power equals intimidation and, and having this kind of aura and presence. And when I started the empathic community, I did it with my own savings. Um, I always punted on how the community was going to make money. It, it was always free. Uh, we helped a lot of people that were not in a financial position to be able to afford a, a high touch, high quality community like we were running. And I was always like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Largely because of this feeling, you know, who am I to make money from what I'm providing? And do I even want that money? Because, you know, it's going to turn me into my grandfather and, and I don't want that. And I've done a lot of money work in, in the last couple of years. I've taken a couple courses on it, really started to one by one examine these experiences and and relationships and and uncover that money is is neutral it's not money that afraid of or afraid of becoming that that's a a separate thing and in our work together i share the story of last year i was in my bathroom one random tuesday night and the light bulb starts flickering and i immediately recognized it as my paternal grandfather and he just had a simple message for me. He said, tell your dad. And my dad is the oldest of, uh, he has two younger brothers. And we haven't talked to uh, that middle brother or his side of the family in a decade plus because of a work money related argument at the firm that my grandfather started. And that really pained my grandfather in his, his last few years. And he said, tell your dad. And I could tell he, you know, because he's passed on, he's in, you know, source world that he, he wasn't carrying that, that burden anymore, but he didn't want my, my dad to either. He said, tell your dad to make amends with his brother, my uncle, you know, your dad's the oldest one in the family. Now it's, you know, his opportunity and just tell him like, you don't have to convince him. You don't have to do anything else. Just like be the messenger. I was like, okay. And 
told my dad that exact story, how the bulb flickered and the whole family was there. I was at dinner and it just became like a, a joke that my grandfather spoke to me to a light bulb, which again, like the underwear story, objectively very funny. I would laugh at it too. And um, sure. oh, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't mind the laughing at it at all. Cause like, yeah, like accurate also doesn't mean it's not true. Um, so that, that was an interesting experience. And then in one of our regressions, uh, I went back and I kind of had a, a dinner with, with my grandpa and he communicated to me that they are separate things that can get intertwined. Uh, but, but they are separate and that is money and, you know, how people act and behave and, and their demeanor and personality. So I don't need to fear making money or uh, expecting and receiving money because I can do that and still be the person I, I am and want to be. And uh, that was very helpful to, to continue that money work too. So what happened first? Because I remember we did Hypnotic Journey, which you mentioned where you had this dinner with your grandfather and he was basically educating you about your, just what you mentioned there, that your ideas of money and power were all caught up in this, his demeanor and his behavior. And you had to kind of like start to separate those out so that you could have a healthier relationship with money and idea of power. And these are very fundamental things. We many, many of us have come to view power as a harmful thing because of how other people are using it and money and all of those things. And this is our opportunity now to to reestablish our own relationship with these things in our mind, because we want to be powerful. Why would we not? I mean, it, it sounds so simple, but it was a matter for me and you and many other people to discover, wow, I've been carrying these harmful ideas. So you're sending out into the universe these messages of, I don't like power. It scares me. You know, money's evil. And then we wonder why we have these kinds of experiences in our lives. Did you have that, the journey before the, the light bulb experience, or did you have the light bulb experience and then the journey. When you say journey, you're talking about the ayahuasca ceremonies? No, the hypnotic journey where you had the dinner with your grandfather and you established that contact was the light bulb experience in your shower like afterwards? Yeah, no, the light bulb experience was first. So that was uh, about half a year to a year into working on Empathic. And then afterward had the uh, dinner with him in our regression. And all this was really the the start of realizing like how much there is to unpack and work on my relationship with money. And that eventually led to the money course, which uh, I want to shout out the organization that does it. It's called Conscious You based out of Germany. And I highly recommend it for anyone that this resonates with. Uh, it's cohort based. So you get to do it with other people and it, it really just uh, gets to the root of, of these things and gives you tools to continue working on it indefinitely. Uh, so yeah, it was that, that light bulb experience was quite literally the light bulb that went off that kind of started it. And you know that led to uh, our regression session and, uh, the money work we've done and the money work with Conscious You and the, the continuing money work that, that I'm still doing. And now, honestly, like I really enjoy making money and it's fun to be compensated for the work I'm doing. And uh, 
really realizing and and sharing and promoting the fact that just because someone works in a more what people consider like noble profession, whether it's uh, you know the, the spiritual space or you know, therapy, whatever it might be, uh, doesn't mean teachers. I think is a great example. It doesn't mean that. Uh, because you're doing something good, like you don't need to be paid as much, like, cause you're, you know, you get the altruistic benefit, like that, that's bullshit. <laughs> like if anything, they should be paid more because they're you know, having a, a net benefit on society where my old finance role, like is working with money, really something that should make someone more money. <laughs> like who, who is that really benefiting? And that's the realization I had that you not know, really after my, my mushroom experience that really led me to leave it. Like, what am I doing here that, you know, I'm going to look back on my life and say, like, thank God I did that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I have another note here about how something that happened with your connection with your grandfather, which again, these are powerful things that we can do. This was a big revelation for me in my work with medicines was the afterwards and connecting with those, whatever you want to call it, higher states of consciousness. Um, I, have been taught to use the word ally to make it clear the kinds of connections we want to make. And that really changed everything for me. I've had all kinds of experiences like that light bulb. (laughs) And the more we talk about this, the better, because so many people are really having them. And those who are not, believe me, it's possible for all of us. And this is the best part of my work, helping people to, to make those connections. But what I wanted to say was you having had that interaction. This was also a powerful part of your journey as well, making those um, connections with a higher consciousness or what have you, and starting to accept some guidance and teaching from a level of understanding that's above what we're caught up in, right? And I wanted you to uh, share some things about how that helped in your life and and your relationship with that work now. Yeah, when I mentioned I, I, I kind of felt like a an alien as a kid, I think a big part of that was this, what I now define as a feeling of my communication channel with my higher self being relatively strong and wide and, and full of depth that I've uh, always felt very connected to that my soul, I guess, like the the part of me that's up in source world. And with many years of practice and figuring out what works for me and what doesn't, I've developed a practice that right now works for me and will continue to evolve and change, a practice that allows me to to keep that channel very open and uh, flowing. And it's a combination of yoga and breath work and meditation and different types of these. And sometimes doing the same classes or sessions and sometimes switching it up, really trusting my gut. It's another opportunity to to just listen to what I want in the moment and, and be present and uh, these practices and setting up my space in, in deliberate intentional ways and, and being intentional about really I try to be as intentional as possible on how I do everything has uh, allowed me to keep that strength and and feel like I'm acting in alignment with my higher self and 
and moving toward what I want to achieve in this life and feel um, I'm here to do. And there's no true way to know that I'm on the clearest line from A to B there and doing all the right things. I'm sure I'm not, but it's an incredible compass to do these things and trust that the the downloads, as many people say, the, the messages that come through, the epiphanies, the things you just got to laugh at because the universe, you know, some crazy coincidence, all these things, being able to observe them and be present enough to catch them. It's, it's really like my North star. And I, I try to just follow that as, as best as I can and be listening for when those messages come through and, and really let me that guide me in life. And that's led to just a, a massive sense of, comfort and peace and trust that um, I'm headed in the right direction. Yeah. I remember you responded really well to this connection. In fact, so well that because uh, there's exercises we do to, to <laughs> intentionally build that connection to higher consciousness, higher self, allies, whatever you want to call them. Everybody has their own unique experiences. But when we did this before we even, because there are places that we go to in our mind when we do these journeys. There's lots of different places. And we've established some familiar places where we make those connections. And I remember you used to tell me that before you even got to these places, the answer would come and you had some frustration around it. And I thought that yeah, was I thought kind I was of- doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was interesting. And it's it's funny because there are other people who would love to have that problem, of course, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh something I'm grateful for. And I view as more of a, a gift than a curse. <laughs> Where yeah, I just uh how I interpret it is I know, you know when I'm thinking about a certain thing and I'm I'm going inward to get guidance on that. I know what the answer is that I truly, you know, believe or want or feel, and it really only takes the you know, commitment and intention to to consider it and and let that part of me speak to let it be revealed. I've always been someone that's been very like efficiency focused and like to do things as efficiently as possible. So maybe that's just uh, my higher self looking out for me that I don't even have to get you know all the way into the cave in my mind, I can just, you know, start to walk toward it and they'll, they'll shout out to me from the cave. I'll be like, all right, thanks. And I can, you know, go, go turn around and, and get on with whatever it is that I, I was uh, debating. Absolutely. Like, I mean, these are just tools. And if you accomplish what you set out to do, that's far more important and more powerful. And I think that we lose sight of things sometimes when we go through rituals and they become more important than the intentions and, mm-hmm. you know, actually accomplishing something meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a good reminder about that because whatever really, you know, works for you, that that is the way to go. And I think that it was beautiful that you learned to trust yourself through that too, that that was a helpful way of um, being okay with the fact that you are more in touch with that higher part of you. And that's why it does come quickly. And that's a great thing. Yeah, I think that's a, a crucial point. So it takes us back to the beginning, right? You know, like the trusting yourself instead of worrying about what other people think and checking in with yourself and and becoming aware of that. And then you got like just really, really good at it. And now it's part of your everyday experience. There's not this big laborious 
ritual to make that connection. It's, it's more available to you. And that's of course what we want, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. I, a story comes to mind, I think encapsulates this well. I do a uh, community breath work every Thursday with some people from the, the empathic community through our nonprofit and it's guided. So there's someone uh, speaking throughout it, kind of leading the breathing cadence and um, there's music too. And I noticed over the course of many of these that sometimes I will go off of the the cadence and uh, that the, the person leading it is providing. And sometimes that's because I'm too caught up in my mind about something going on, a work thing, a personal relationship thing. And I'll be stressed out doing this breath work that's supposed to calm me down thinking, oh no, I've lost the breath. What, what cadence were we doing now? And say, oh, when did we stop breathing? I'm still breathing. And I'd be stressed out about this. And then sometimes when I'm really in the zone, I'll go off the cadence but in this case, I'm going off because I want to, because I'm feeling like, Ooh, I want to switch it up a little bit. Now, maybe I start kind of dancing a little bit on my yoga mat. Um, I'm breathing, just kind of letting the body breathe me at whatever rate it wants to. I feel I've kind of transcended the guidance in a way. And, you know, objectively, the same thing has happened. I've, I've stopped doing what the person guiding has been laying out for us. And it's just too 100% different situations where one it's, you know, out of bliss and comfort and one it's out of stress and anxiety. Uh, and I just find that fascinating. <laughs> it is, especially your relationship with it, which is most interesting. Right. And that's really what it comes down to, right? That's the main difference between those two situations is just you know, how I'm approaching it and receiving it and, and present or not in, in what's happening. Yeah. And another thing is that it's teaching a bigger lesson about, you know, I think we are very accustomed to working in situations where everybody has to do it this way. And we're learning through the medicines and through ourselves, most importantly, that we're all very unique and what might suit one person may not suit the next. And these lessons are so important because this is really going to evolve humanities when we start to be at peace with that and not only, you know, be at peace with it, start to honor it. And, and you know, you've encapsulated that beautifully in that story. Um, this happens with people I work with all the time, and I'm sure you'll remember this when they go through the journey. It's like, look, I'll be describing this, but if your journey takes on another form, go with it and let's see what happens because, we're shifting to you trusting what's going on inside, you know, and learning from it. And that's, that's the greatest accomplishment is to help someone get to the place where they're doing this work on their own and they're trusting themselves and they're starting to get that and develop that relationship. And you did that beautifully. Yeah. Thanks. I, I think that's the best advice I could ever give. Go with it. <laughs> psychedelic situation and not in a psychedelic situation, whatever's happening is happening. Just go with it. And uh, that'll relieve so much of, of any negative feelings that, that come with it. Yeah. Even the things that we move through in life, for sure. And approaching it that way, it's like, this is interesting. Let's see where it leads or uh, everybody's going this way, but I think I need to go that way. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us, Doug. And I want you to share some links and ways people can get in touch with you and find out more about the work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So to check out our nonprofit, go to empathic.love. It is not empathetic.love. That is uh, more often than not, that's what I hear. 
I should probably just buy both domain names, but I don't. So empathic.love and you can sign up to chat one-on-one with me if you're looking for uh, any advice or direction on connecting for your next steps in the plant medicine ecosystem. We also have a weekly breathwork circle I mentioned that you can join from the website as well. And then otherwise uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Douglas Finkelstein is my name. And I have some cool projects I'll be releasing in the next couple months uh, tied to this space and would love for you to check them out. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And for those who are listening, stay tuned after the podcast for a short intro to a new podcast hosted by Doug Finkelstein. Thanks so much, Doug. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Please visit RebeccaHayden.com for more ayahuasca integration content and for information about working with me and using hypnosis as an empowering integration tool. Welcome to episode one of Doug's podcast. I am Doug Finkelstein, your host, and today I'm joined by Rebecca Hayden, a hypnotic journeying and spiritual connection facilitator. The reason I'm joined by Rebecca right now is I was just on her podcast, and she graciously agreed to let me sketch my show on at the end here. I had to look up what uh, sketch was. I had this picture in my head of uh, someone skateboarding and they had latch onto the bumper of a car. And <laughs> There's a word for it, and that's skitch. So <laughs> that's exactly what I'm doing here with my show. And thank you, Rebecca, for letting me do that. I've personally worked with Rebecca many times and fully vouch for the quality and uniqueness of her work, as it's been instrumental in the integration of my ayahuasca experiences. Stick around. We'll be right back with our conversation with Rebecca after this word from our sponsor. Picture this. You're in the depths of your ayahuasca ceremony, hugging the source of all creation you soon realize you're actually hugging your purge bucket while purging out of both ends, and it hits you. I don't know if this purge bucket's organic. (laughs) The fine people at Anti-Bees Purge Buckets are here to help. Every Anti-Bees is handcrafted using only the finest farm-to-table plastic available from their family farm in Hoboken, New Jersey. The Anti-Bee family has been in the business of purge buckets since 1832, and it's no surprise their buckets have made the Forbes 20 under 20 list in each of the past five years. If you're listening to this, head on over now to antibees.bucket slash Doug to receive a special offer from the Antib family. 20% extra bucket on every order through the holidays to have extra room for all those holiday leftovers. You heard that right? 20% extra bucket this holiday season, only at Antibees. Welcome back to our conversation with Rebecca. Thanks for stopping by the end of your own podcast. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Wonderful. I think we had an awesome conversation, and I, this is the first time I'm doing this, and I enjoy the uh, ability to continue our conversation and uh, switch up the subject a little bit. I think it'll be interesting for people that listen to both to, <laughs> to have that opportunity. Yeah, and thanks for introducing us to organic plastic. I really didn't know there was such a thing, so thanks for introducing that, Auntie B. Yeah, happy to help. And I'm glad that the NTB family has been so generous to sponsor us. Uh, they've been sponsored since day one of the podcast. So it's uh, it's really important to us over here. <laughs> uh, okay, so I like to ask my guests one question about self-alignment and one question about humor. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. You help people communicate with their allies and higher selves. 
What successful common practices have you observed amongst clients accessing this communication with their higher selves efficiently? I'm sure that there are a lot of things that contribute to the success of that connection that I, I'm not aware of because you never know how each person that I work with are going to respond to the journeying space. And some of them completely unexpectedly are just, they're just so good at it. And that's in the journey itself. Like while I facilitate them into that hypnotic journey, but that connection of communicating with that, our higher selves or our allies or what our higher consciousness, our super consciousness, whatever way you want to look at it. It's the ongoing work after the journey, just like after ayahuasca, that really matters. And people who are most successful at that, they tend to be taking it seriously. They're, they have a commitment to it. They're very curious about it. They want to make it happen. They make a point of doing it. That's really it. Interesting. So what I'm hearing is it's really about your desire to, to follow through and and value and make it a priority in your life more than it is innate feature of yourself or specific practice or anything like that. Okay. So I should mention another element to this as well. That is true in most cases, but there are some cases where people have just shut down internally and they're not as aware of it. And it's not always as obvious, but it becomes obvious when we start to enter those spaces. And that's something that people can work through uh, in many different ways. Sometimes there's an emotional um, reality to it that we have to understand what's going on there and, and work through it and, and trust the kinds of things that are coming up in the meantime. So it's not always a matter of you know attitude and commitment, um, but it would certainly help people then work through whatever's in the way. You know, so in the end, it does come down to that, but it's not people's fault if they can't make a connection. There can be all kinds of reasons, but commitment, you know, if you really do in the end, I think that people will get there as long as they don't give up. And, you know, I've noticed there are people who really take it personally sometimes, like, what am I doing wrong? And I understand that it's a, it is a deeply intimate thing, making this kind of interconnection. But even those things can be an opportunity to to heal those ideas of oneself. And there's always an opportunity to move somewhere positively. Mm-hmm. The only way out is through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Wonderful. Thank you. And question number two, what's the most humorous experience you've had or heard of the universe doing something only the universe could do? One of those moments where you've just had to laugh to yourself about what's transpired. And I imagine with the work that you do, uh, you're you're fairly close with Mother Aya, Source, the universe, this kind of cosmic underpinning of the world. And if any experiences have led to a humorous story or, or anecdote, I'd love to hear it. Well, thank you for that flattering description. I have to wonder uh, sometimes about these things because this just happened, these connections. It's not something that I, I mean, okay, so... I did develop them through shamanic journey initially. I think that's why I'm very strong on that. But I do believe it's something anybody can do. That's why I want to help people do it. But anyway, so I came back from my first ayahuasca retreat 
in 2000, early, early 2015. I'd already worked with many medicines, but ayahuasca was kind of waiting for me to, uh, to do some other work, which I believe is the way it was meant to be, given especially how spectacularly things went wrong when I was going in the wrong direction. But anyway, so ultimately it led me to this experience. And when I came back, I had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of connection, like so much more than I've ever had since. And I still had a lot to work on, like just tons. And my attitude <laughs> was, was not great. So I was learning all kinds of things, you know, very rapidly being presented with a lot of ideas. And, and at that time, my attitude that needed to change showed up really strongly. And I'm like, and I'm communicating them with them in my mind very clearly. And they're communicating with me. And my response at one point was, uh, well, you know, what's all this about? Just do me, you know, like, <laughs> like um, heal me and we're done. Right. <laughs> like why all this stuff? And the response came, uh, no, you do yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that there was a double entendre there. And, and I laughed so hard. Till I cried, actually. <laughs> there was a very deep message in that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I can, uh, we'll have to slap the rated R on this uh, episode one of the podcast. But <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that's wonderful. And that's uh, definitely one of those moments that I think because of the, because of the humor in it, uh, it, it carries more significance for you now and you're able to remember it and it, it has the impact that it was meant to have because of the mixing in of, of levity and, and, and comedy and humor. Yeah. I think that there are certain ways that uh, certain types of communication that are deliberate, so deliberate, not only to make me laugh, but to make me remember they're very good at getting our attention. And it must be a challenging thing given how busy our minds are. Right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I think the universe speaks in in omens, and and that's something from the book The Alchemist, which I highly recommend. And I've started to notice anytime I see uh, angel numbers around, whether it's on a, a license plate or an exit sign, whatever, I just wonder what I'm thinking about at that moment. And oftentimes, it's something that I just kind of pass through my head, and I'm like, oh, I should really be, you know, there's something more to this that. I I didn't catch at first glance and uh, that kind of just awareness of when the universe is like, Hey, pay attention, do yourself <laughs> that you can, uh, you can like pull back and be, Oh, right, right, right. Like I actually have to like kind of be present. <laughs> yeah. It certainly made me sit up and take notice and change the tone entirely of our exchange because, you know, after laughing about it, uh, it was very humbling they mm -hmm. got through the message got through and it wasn't just one of those peripheral things it reached me very deeply and put us on a better footing because these are relationships you know and they do reflect the relationship that we have with ourselves so it's all beneficial regardless of how you look at it you know unless you come from a place of fear of course mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's obvious that that message came through and continues to with uh, your podcast and the work you do with your clients, the work you did with me. So thank you for, for doing that work, both for yourself and for the, the people it affects. Thank you. I never anticipated how much I would learn from my clients and how much they would reflect the kinds of things that I was 
um, learning in my own path and had to strengthen in my own path. And it's a beautiful symbiotic thing that naturally comes about. And that's something that I'd never heard people really talk about. The relationships that I formed with the people I work with, there's a, a beauty to that symbiotic reality. And I think that's something that if we start to really cultivate in the world, it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. I could not agree more. Thank you for that sentiment. And thank you for being the first guest on my podcast. Thank you.